morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, Managing Editor for Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's August 5th, 2008, and welcome to episode number 67 in our series. Tonight's topic is Getting Your Book into a National Bookstore. And our special guest will be joining us this hour is Joe Virgil from Barnes & Noble. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show, so send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, Joe Virgil has served as a community relations manager for Barnes & Noble for many years. She currently works out of the Sunset Valley store in South Austin, Texas. A major component of her job is working with authors to produce successful events and book signings. She has worked as a feature writer, reporter, and columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and loves to dabble in any kind of writing, fiction, and nonfiction. She has a master's in journalism with a minor in environmental science reflecting her love of writing as well as her deep appreciation of and respect for nature. She is a vice president of the board of the Writers League of Texas and also serves on the board of the Central Texas Storytelling Guild. Good evening, Joe. Good evening. Joe, I'm so glad to have you on line with us because I know when I first published my book, or before I first published my book, and I know that I'm not the only writer, author that has this big vision, we go into Barnes & Noble and we see all these thousands and thousands and thousands of books, and we just see our book there and then when reality happens whoops it's not that easy so i want to talk about the necessary basics how we are going to get this book into barnes and noble what are they that is you're starting with the basics which is a very good place to start um as i'm sure you and all writers especially published writers know the whole industry has changed radically in the last 10 years and is changing on almost a weekly basis right now the absolute basics about getting a published book into a barnes and noble or other large chain bookstore there's there's four basics one is the book has to have an isbn and a barcode uh, they are available for individual uh, purchase, and if you go through a publisher, even a small press, they should have access to the ISBNs. We must have that. The title of the book must be on the spine of the book. There are a very few exceptions to this. There are some spiral-bound cookbooks, that sort of thing. But with, out, outside of those very few exceptions, it's got to have the name on the spine. Your book must have a distributor. Uh, these are companies that that's uh, Ingram is the best known one. This is how they make their living is distributing books to bookstores across the nation. And the book must be returnable. All of those absolutes have exceptions, but that those are the basics. Now, uh, you say returnable, and I want to talk about that because that's exactly where I ran into a problem. I was under the impression that my book was going to be returnable, but in reality it wasn't. And so what do you mean by returnable? Um, the short answer to that is Barnes & Noble and other major bookstores 
have an agreement with the publishers and or with the distributors that if for whatever reason a book does not sell, if it's damaged or if it just simply sits on the shelf too long, we can return the book for credit. Uh, this is set up under different contractual agreements with different distributors and with different publishers. But in order for the bookstore to be willing to take the risk to carry the book, they need that guarantee. So is there, do you know the percentage that a major bookstore, let's say like a barn, one of these stores, the Barnes & Noble store, let's say the one that you're at right now or the one that you were previously in uh, the Westlake area, what, uh, what percentage does get returned? Hmm, I'm not really sure that I could quote you a percentage. All things considered, it tends to be pretty low simply because the bookstores have kind of gotten a feel for, you know, even if we're talking about a huge chain bookstore, there are people within the bookstore that are aware of, tied into, and really connected to the community and know what will sell and what won't. So although we do have some books come in that we kind of roll our eyes and go, you know, this isn't going to sell here in this community, for the most part, we have control over that. So actually, the return percentage tends to be pretty low. It's probably the highest with first-time authors, simply because we don't have a good feel of how this book is going to sell. So basically, the buyers are the, the people that are making the decision. They really have to be up on what they're the customers really do buy and want. So is there, how do they know? Do you have like statistics, uh, charts? How do, how do you figure that? Well, with the big chain bookstores, it's kind of a double layer thing because we do have corporate buyers. And of course, uh, these folks have a very good feel for what type of books are going to sell. They keep a real strong handle on current events and you know, what new books will be coming down the pipeline. So they have a good feel for, on a national basis, what will sell. Also, though, Barnes & Noble is, I guess, the only chain I can speak for in this sense, but they give individual stores quite a bit of leeway to understand the community and know what will and will not sell within the community. So we can do a lot of, um, uh, we don't purchase directly, but, well, we sort of do. But we can order specific books that we feel will do well in our community, and we can also request that not so many of certain books be sent to us because we feel like they won't. That's, that's good to know. Um, Joe, earlier you were talking about the basics, and uh, what about the uh, book industry standards group, the, you know, up in the top left-hand corner or bottom just above the ISBN? Uh, is, how important is that? Yes, that is important. Uh, because the industry is getting so huge, and like I just said, the, there is so much flux, things are changing so quickly, uh, that yes, it's important to keep up with that sort of thing. Well, I would think so. I, uh, as a book reviewer, we get a lot of books in, and it's extremely confusing on some of them because I don't have a clue what category they are. Are they fiction? Are they nonfiction? Is this a novel? Is this a memoir? And I really like it when that code is on the book, and I would imagine it would be the same thing for the people that are putting the books on the shelves. Right, except even with all of that, we sometimes run across, you know, what we fur our brows wondering why a certain book was put in a certain category, but it's just because things have gotten, there are so many titles, and it's hard to find a title that's not going to cross 
some bridges and be able to to legitimately fit in two or three different sections of a store. Right. There's the old question of, you know, where does the Babe Ruth book go in sports or biographies? Exactly. So right. <laughs> At what point would I want to approach the the chain buyer for the chain to find out whether they want to recommend the book for, you know, more than one store? That question probably has several different answers, too. And probably the first thing that I would want to know is, is this coming from one of the major publishing houses? Is it coming from a small press? Is it uh, print-on-demand, self-published? You know, there's so many different ways these days to get books out into the market. Right. Uh, Probably the very short answer to that would be if you're going with a major publisher, the publisher already has a relationship with the chain bookstores, and they will take care of that end of it. If it's a smaller press or even in many cases a university press, there are different ways to approach a chain bookstore. Barnes & Noble does have what they call a small press department. Small publishers and even in some cases self-published and print-on-demand authors can contact the small press department. Send the, they have certain criteria. You send a copy of the book, a marketing plan, that sort of thing, and the people at the corporate level decide if this is a book that they want to place a purchase, you know, one major purchase and have it in several of the stores. Okay, so then people at the store level would then get notified that, uh, how would it work? <laughs> Assuming that it's successful, yeah, right, yeah. right. Suppose yeah. it gets, you know, green-lighted by the small press department and they decide to order, I don't know, 300 copies. How would they uh, end up well, reaching that, the stores? that also kind of depends. In some cases, the books simply show up at the store. Oh. Uh, in, in some cases, um, uh, the big chain bookstores will have a regional buyer. And, of course, if it's a specific regional title, like in my case, if it's a Texas title, then, of course, it's probably not going to wind up in Michigan, right. um, <laughs> although sometimes it does. Getting it into the system is one part of the process, and into the system can mean that it's just a purchase that automatically goes to all the stores, or it can mean that we simply okay the availability of the book. In that second scenario where Barnes & Noble small press department just says, yeah, okay, this is a high enough quality book that we will carry it, then it still falls on the publisher or the agent or the author to actually contact the stores and say, your small press department has approved this book, and I'd like to see if you will carry it. Oh, okay. It makes a lot of sense now that you say that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's suppose I've gotten past these hurdles, and how do I set up an in-store event so that it's going to be successful? It will depend on the nature of the book. Is it fiction? Is it a, a specific nonfiction category? Uh, what the market is like? Barnes & Noble has, in probably about two-thirds of their stores, has a person in my position as community relations manager. And our job is to know our community well enough to know what not only what sort of books will sell, but what sort of events will be successful. So if you have a book that has, you know, you've gone through all the steps, the book is into the system, Barnes & Noble can order it if they want to, your best bet is to contact stores, which in your mind the book is appropriate to be carried in those stores, uh, ask to speak to the community relations manager. If there isn't one, speak with the store manager. Explain to them about the book, 
what you need to do before you even approach that step, though, is to kind of do some background marketing research to know why you think your book would sell in that store, what sort of person would purchase it. If you want to set up some sort of signing event, then you also need to think about, do I want to just do a table signing near the front of the store? Do I want to do an event where people come sit down and I either do a reading or tell them about the book? Uh, do I want to address a group that maybe falls specifically into the category of my book, like if my book is a, a World War II history, maybe to invite some uh, veterans organizations, that sort of thing? Or if you want to come, if it's fiction and there's an appropriate book discussion group, you know, so there's all sorts of different ways to promote the book, and, and that's where you need to do your background research as well as you can. And then also trust the person at the bookstore because we want books to sell every bit as much as the author wants the book to sell. So together, you know, you can brainstorm and come up with ideas of how best to promote the book. Well, that sounds uh, great, Joe. So it's basically back to the local store in the community, whatever right. yeah, the author lives in or um, or even the statewide or citywide or whatever. So I uh, you had mentioned uh, small press. Now, I just want to clarify that. So are you talking about traditional uh, publishing presses? Where do subsidy presses fall into? Um, well, that's one of the places that the whole publishing industry is getting a little confusing. Um, authors now have the option of print-on-demand, which for the most part can be done online. Um, small presses are anything from, um, well, I, I don't specifically want to mention any names because they are such small presses that probably we would only know them here in, in the area. Um, but presses that um, either are very regional or very topic-specific, um, small presses as opposed to like a Random House and Simon & Schuster and, you know, the, the big ones. Um, university presses are kind of a category of their own. They're kind of like a small press, but they're also kind of like a big publisher. So, you know, again, just like we were talking about the genres of books, where do you put those? We're also getting into that with publishing. At what point does a small press become a major publisher? Exactly, and I find that very confusing, too, and so I'm glad that it's just not me, but, you know, you and, and the other end of the industry is finding it confusing also. So it's obviously then when we are talking about a national bookstore such as Barnes & Noble that you will accept books from subsidy presses. Right, as, if, as long as they meet those criteria, as long, talk with right at first. Exactly, and some do and some don't. What about self-published authors? You know, a lot of our listeners for this broadcast are self-published. And it's always, you know, our dream to get into a national store such as Barnes & Noble. And it just find, we find it very difficult. So I'm wondering, what are some tips for the self-published author, besides, of course, doing the basics? Right. Um, uh, okay, where to begin with this? Um <laughs> There are success stories with self-published books. I mean, obviously, we, we all know of, of some that, and a, a lot of self-published books that are success stories wind up getting picked up by one of the major publishers. It is the difficult thing for a person with a self-published book 
is that they have to be all things. They have to take care of distribution. They have to take care of marketing. They have to take care of sales. They've also got to be the author, the book signer, all of those things. And it, to do all of that successfully is very difficult. As long as the self-published person has created a professional-looking book and as long as it meets all of those basic criteria, that does not mean that they're going to run into brick walls. However, it is going to be more difficult simply because of all those hurdles, all those things that have to be done and they're all very time-consuming and the expense involved with it all often means that the self-published author doesn't make enough money to pay him or herself back for the efforts that have gone into it. So it, um, I, I think probably the main reason that bookstores tend to shy away from self-published and even in many cases on print-on-demand is simply because there is not the level of oversight. There's Generally speaking, there is not the editing process that, that the books have to go through with the traditional publisher. Uh, there's not the quality control as far as how the book looks, how the book is produced. And that doesn't mean that they're not good books. It just means that without without me physically seeing the book and reading the book, I don't know how well it's done. And quite honestly, I don't have time to see, read, and look at every self-published book that an author wants me to carry. So that's what self-published people will run into. And, you know, what you just said is just so important. You don't have the time to read every book, and of course not. So, But in the event, let's say, a self-published book is accepted, and it looks good on the cover, the author did a great sales job to you, it's like, yeah, we can carry this, and it's like, uh uh-oh, we've got some editing issues. How do you handle that Um, after the fact? (laughs) You mean after we have already got the book into the store? Yes. I would like to, I'm being very idealistic here, I would like to think that the book would not make it into the store without that kind of oversight. Generally speaking, in in my position, I am approached probably 15 to 20 times a week by authors who have not gone the traditional route. They're either self-published or print-on-demand. Um, generally speaking, if I have time, I will give a quick look at the book. If it looks like something that might be uh, a book that stands a chance for you, I mean, there's an awful lot of competition in a, in a major bookstore. There's a lot of titles. But if it looks to me like this might make it or even if there's enough regional or even community interest that I would like to have the book in the store, Generally, what I will do is recommend that that person contact the Barnes & Noble Small Press Department. That's where the little bit deeper oversight comes from. And again, they don't have time to look at every book, but a quick once-over will give them an idea whether they want to dig deeper into it. And then at that level, they will find if there are some serious editing mistakes, basically they're going to return it to to the author and say, you know, this needs to be cleaned up before we can take a look at it. How important is having a great cover in in the buying decision-making process there? Uh, actually, you know, you know that old adage, you can't judge a book by looking at the cover, but people do. That's the first thing that makes you pick up a book is what it looks like. And, you know, there have been all sorts of research and study and all of that into what goes into a, a good book cover. But probably the main thing that, that we as big bookstores are running into right now is with the proliferation of print-on-demand and self-publishing, the, the cover 
um, a not well done cover will just jump right out at you and the, you know it just screams this is a cheap book so it is very important to have a professional looking cover that in some manner captures what the book is about good yeah that makes a lot of sense now in terms of you know that there's, there's hundreds of stores out there what are some of the ways that i can reach a store in the past i've tried using uh, direct mail where you get you know a mailing list and send out flyers and you can also do co-op advertising with the distributor i'm just wondering which of those if any of those things you pay attention to um, are you talking to me as a community relations manager or me as a book purchaser good question <laughs> you're right well answer it i guess both ways if you can okay. Um, as someone who is considering whether or not that my store should carry the book, my primary interest, of course, is going to be will my community go for it. Right. Um, generally speaking, from with that hat on, probably the best way to contact me is to actually hand me a copy or mail me a copy of the book with a letter of how you intend to market it, what you, what you think the audience is, you know, something to give me a handle on where does this book fit. Um, if I switch hats and put on my community relations manager hat, there are some books that are fine to carry in the store but are very difficult to to uh, market from a standpoint of having an event. Um, one I ran into just recently, and I, I won't give details because I don't want to embarrass, embarrass anyone, it was a very important book. It looks like a very well-done book. But the topic is one that is so emotionally sensitive that I, you know, I, I thought on this for several days and I simply could not come up with a good, sensitive, respectful way to do an event with the book. So, you know, that, that comes into different levels of, of decision of how to help the author market it. Great. One thing that I've been looking at is the American Booksellers Association they have a program called Advance Access where they, they email a 1,000 uh, independent bookstores with news about your book, and then the ones that are interested reply and say, yeah, go ahead, send me a copy. Do you ever uh, work with any programs like that? Not that I'm aware of. You know, that, uh, not, I'm, I personally know I don't. Um, whether or not that happens at the regional or, or corporate level, I don't know. I don't know. I have not heard of that. Okay. Joe, um, when I spoke uh, at the uh, Raiders League of Texas back uh, several months ago at the Barnes & Noble uh, door, we were talking about galleys because we were talking about reviews. That's what I was there for. And we were talking about galleys, and, of course, I did not bring any samples, but all of a sudden you came up with, three galleys, which really surprised me because I didn't realize that actually you got galleys. So I want to talk about that. Who sends you galleys? Do you actually look at those? What do you do with them? Um, most of the galleys that we have are the advanced readers' copies at uh, Barnes & Noble come from uh, some of the, the major publishers as well as some of the smaller presses. Some of them are... Um, uh, not galleys, but actual published books that the author wanted us to take a look at, so they donate us a copy. And, oh, man, yes, do we get a ton of those. <laughs> um, I, uh, at any one given time, in the break room at the bookstore, we will probably have 40 to 50 galleys. 
Wow. And that's, you know, of course, that's just there in the break room. That's not counting the ones that the booksellers take home and then don't bring back. Sometimes they bring them back to share. Um, and I will tell you, that is probably the best way to make the bookstore, the booksellers, knowledgeable about your book. Because, you know, even if they haven't read the book, they've seen it sitting there on the bookshelf, or when we first get them, we spread them out on the table. So they're at least familiar with the title. They take a look at it, basically know what it's about. And, you know, when you go into a medium-sized Barnes & Noble, you've got to figure there are anywhere from 150 to 300,000 titles, not books, but titles. So there needs to be some way to make your title stand out, and the galleys of advanced readers' copies are a wonderful way to do that. Wow, that's great to know. And um, I'm sure that all of a sudden you're going to, after people are going to be listening to this broadcast, you'll be getting more. (laughs) (laughs) So from 40 to 50, it may increase to 100. What is the life expectancy of a title in a bookstore like Barnes & Noble? Well, now that kind of varies also depending on the, the genre of the book. And also, as any published author knows, there are so many external factors that can affect the life expectancy. On a fiction book, now this is all very round estimates, a fiction book, first-time novel uh, by a uh, before-unknown author, uh, all other things being equal, count on about a year. Uh, that doesn't mean that it will go out of print in a year. That might mean it goes out of print before a year, but it means that your first uh, splurge of sales is going to be in those first few months. And then after that, it, it will drop off unless something external happens to bring more attention to the title. Nonfiction books, of course, they are more subject to external goings-on and how whatever the topic is, how that fits into what's in the news, what's on people's minds, that sort of thing. And so that, of course, would have a longer shelf life. Now, that's so we're talking for fiction about a year, but you also mentioned that it has a shorter, and I guess maybe that wouldn't be a shelf life, but the existence life, and it's like, is that several months or... I guess I'm trying to get what's the shortest time that it will be there. It's like, when do you take them off and send them back as return? Okay. Now, that can depend on a number of factors also. I would say probably on average, if a book, if we have three copies of a title and all three copies have been on the shelf for two months, we will probably keep one, return the other two. If that one sits there for another two months, then it will probably go back also. And that's just kind of a a very rough estimate because, again, it depends on so many different things. In a typical big bookstore, uh, we have the little handheld computers and we scan the shelves to see what is going on with the sales. We can do the whole store in approximately six weeks to two months. So after two months, we're going back through and checking the same books. And if those same books are still sitting there, then we're going to take a hard look and say, do we really need to use up the shelf space with this book. Wow. If, if it's showing consistent sales and all we're doing is replacing them, then the computer will show us that and fine, the book will stay. So, in other words, during the time it's on that shelf in that first month or two, the author really has to do a lot of footwork and legwork and promotion and just to be able to keep that book in circulation on that shelf and have a longer shelf life. Yeah, and especially right at the beginning. Now, again, like I say, this depends on a multitude of factors. 
But with any book, even with a, you know, a James Patterson or a Stephen King, the first two or three months are so crucial to getting the word out there, to letting people know that the book exists. And after that, sometimes just a, a lot of that momentum will keep the sales going, although it's still important to keep marketing. But that first little bit, yes, is very important. So that brings me to another question, Joe. Um, a lot of times, especially in the self-publishing and uh, first-time authors, they don't do any publicity before the book is published, but they will start the publicity after it's published. So what do you look at in the terms of that? Now, let's say the book is published in, oh, actually printed, let's say, in September, and they didn't don't get around to talking to you about it until maybe November, December, because they're finally getting their marketing plan going. How do you view that? Um, well, I, I hate to keep being so evasive, but again, that depends on a, a lot of factors. Um, the big house publishers like Random House, Simon & Schuster, they can afford to do a lot of front work before the book is even published, you know, to go ahead and get that marketing out there and get that buzz out there before the book ever really exists. Um, a smaller publisher or a self-published author probably is not going to be able to do that on any scale to make a significant difference. So there's there's nothing especially wrong with waiting until the book is actually in hand at the distributor ready to go. Um, you know, as, as long as I think it's in the author's best interest to have thought about those things before the book is physically available. You know, thought about where is this going to sell. If I'm going to do events, what sort of events am I going to do? To have all that sort of stuff in mind, but to, to actually contact the bookstore and try to pitch it before the book is in hand, probably that's not necessary. For the uh, self-published or the small presses. Right. Now, when do you actually, how far back do you start looking at a book? Let's say, okay, this is 2008, and all of a sudden an author decides to do something with the 5,000 books that he had printed that are sitting in the garage, but they were printed in, and copyrighted in 2005. What are the possibilities or future for that book? I'm not sure that that would matter a whole lot, except, of course, the first question would be, why have these been sitting in your garage for three years? <laughs> <laughs> and if there's a logical and valid answer to that, I, I'm not sure that that really makes a significant difference. Uh, in, in fact, you know, the very often books come into reprint um, in, in the traditional publishing world. You know, a book may be out of print for a few years and then something happens to reignite that interest in the book and it comes back. So the date that it was published is not in and of itself a determining factor. Well, that, that's good to know, too, that there is a possible future there. But, of course, the onus is back on the author and especially if it's self-published or small press, and they are, have to do their own uh, publicity and marketing. So sort of the last thing here I want to talk about is what about the second book, and what about beyond? How do we handle that? Well, in theory, it should get easier. That's not a guarantee or a promise, but once an author has um, a track record, you've shown that not only can you write a book, but you can create a physical book that is attractive, it's saleable, um, then you've shown that you know the ropes. If your sales show the, the people in the bookstore that you know what you're doing, you know some of the marketing tricks, you are willing to do appropriate signings, that sort of thing, 
the second book should be easier. Now, uh, of course, an exception to that would be if your second book is totally and completely on a different topic, different subject, different category than your original one, then it's sort of like starting over. But at the same time, once you have that experience, experience in any field counts for something. So if I'm working with an author who has had two books that have done reasonably well, uh, they can show me what kind of book signings they have done, um, they can display to me that they understand how the process works, then, yeah, I'm, I'm much more willing to work with that author. Well, that's good. That's encouraging. It's basically the hardest part is to get that foot in the door in the first place with that first right. book. And then uh, right. the rest, in theory, as you say, should be easier. So, uh, gosh, this has been really great talking to you, Joe, and I just want to give you the opportunity. Um, are there some closing words that you would like to uh, say to our listeners? Well, I think probably the best advice from my position that I can offer is what writers have probably heard a hundred times before they ever got to the point of publishing is that being a published writer takes perseverance. Uh, you have to develop a little bit of a callus, a little bit of a, a thick skin so that the rejections don't hurt so much because if, if you've got your book published and you really want it in the bookstore, Keep at it, and that doesn't mean being pesky. It also means listening because, like I said earlier, a community relations manager or a bookstore manager wants that book to sell every bit as much as you do. So if they are offering criticisms or if they are telling you why they can't carry the book, then it's important to listen to them and pay attention and learn what you can from it. But just like in writing, it's that perseverance that counts for an awful lot. Well, you know, listen... It, that is uh, that's such good advice because we sometimes we get so attached to what we've written and many times we feel that it's the best book and everybody should read it and you know I hear this all the time and but in reality there are some things that the authors and writers do really need to listen to and I'm so glad you brought that up and thank you again and just to, a reminder to the uh, listeners to this that Joe Virgil is from the Barnes and Noble store here in Austin Texas. Okay, you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back on the air August 21st, 2008, when our topic will be What It Takes to Be a Freelance Writer, and our guest who will be joining us is Yvonne Perry. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show, Please send your question and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying good night. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.